Hi, Dirk Walker here. I'm talking to On Screen and Beyond. We're talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, my career, and a book I've just written, Master and the Little Monk. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Are you ready? It is time for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. This is episode 496. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, Dirk Blocker is going to be joining us. His dad, of course, played Hoss on Bonanza, and uh, Dirk himself has been in Baba Black Sheep way back when, and right now you can catch him Sunday nights on Fox as Detective Hitchcock on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he is also an author. He has a new book out, a children's book, called Master and the Little Monk. You want to check that one out. He's coming up in a few minutes, right here, Dirk Blocker on On Screen and Beyond. We've got a lot of things coming away as far as remakes, upcoming sequels, and upcoming movies, and the whole works. Let's get right into it. It's time for Remake Madness on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness. It looks like Sony has put two new directors in charge of the He-Man Masters of the Universe remake. It's been going in and out with directors. It seems like a, a revolving door, but now the Knee Brothers... Are, uh, they do a lot of independent films. They are now in line to do the directing for He-Man Masters of the Universe. If it ever gets off the ground, it just seems to be you know going back and forth. But I'm sure they'll get there. And a remake of Doom is in the works. The last version starred Dwayne Johnson, but it uh, generally was a flop. And Disney's remake of... The Park Ride, and now moving into a movie, Jungle Cruise will be set in the 1920s, and it stars, who else? Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt also. And that's it for Remake Madness coming up next on On Screen and Beyond. It is upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies, Josh Brolin will play George Jones, a singer in a film called George and Tammy. It's a biopic about his life. And Amy Schumer, Steve Carell, and Nicole Kidman will star in She Came to Me. It's a new film, and it's currently in production. We'll keep you informed on that. And Nicolas Cage will star in Primal. It's a film about a big game hunter who uh, goes out and gets the big game for zoos. And that's it for upcoming new movies next on On Screen and Beyond. Taking you down at Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. Sequel City, well... It looks like the Halloween sequel, which brings back Jamie Lee Curtis to the series, will have John Carpenter scoring the film. And How to Train Your Dragon 3, called officially How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, arrives in 2019 on March 1st, and it will be the final film in the franchise, they're saying. And this is... Uh, Already in talks, I guess, Super Troopers 3. And that's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. 
TV on DVD, all right. May 15th, Time Life uh, releases the Jackie Gleason Show in color, Deluxe Edition. Now, this is a three-disc set with 12 never-before-released episodes not seen in 50 years. And May 29th, Showtime's I'm Dying Up Here, Season 1 comes your way. And Laugh-In, the complete fourth season, will make us laugh on May 8th. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Movies on DVD, it looks like on April 24th. Grease is the word once again. Grease, the 40th anniversary edition, hits 4K Ultra HD along with Blu-ray combo pack and DVD and on digital also. And Pacific Rim Uprising will arrive on June 5th on digital. Then on June 19th, it hits 4K Ultra HD, 3D Blu-ray, and Blu-ray and DVD. And let's see, Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence flies into stores on May 22nd. That's it for Movies on DVD. Next on Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time, it looks like Grey's Anatomy has been renewed for a 15th season. And the CBS return of Murphy Brown has cast Tyne Daly as Phyllis the barkeeper's sister of Phil, who unfortunately has passed away, but they're going to have her running the bar. And sadly, actor Vern Troyer, who played Minnie in the Austin Powers movies, has passed away at the young age of 49. And that's it for TV and entertainment time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. <laughs> Celebrity birthdays, all right, let's see here. April 23rd, Valerie Bertinelli turns 58. April 24th, Barbara Streisand, she turns 76. April 25th, Len Goodman of Dancing with the Stars turns 74. April 26th, Kevin James turns 53. And on April 27th, Ace Freely of Kiss turns 67. And April 28th, Jay Leno turns 68. And on... April 29th, Jerry Seinfeld turns 64. And that's it for Celebrity Birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, we didn't have any come in. But if you, a friend or a relative, are going to be having a birthday, send the information to me. And we will all wish you a very happy birthday. You can send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we will uh, get that on the air so everybody can wish you a very happy birthday. So that's it for Celebrity Birthdays and Listener Birthdays for this week. And we want to uh, wish everybody a happy birthday there. But uh, coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, you know him as Detective Hitchcock on Fox's Brooklyn Nine-Nine. 
He was also on Baba Ba Black Sheep when he first started out. And uh, he's the son of Dan Blocker, played Hoss on Bonanza. Dirk Blocker is going to be joining us. He has a book out, and it's called Master and the Little Monk. You want to check that out. We're going to find out all about that and more with Dirk Blocker next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. We have seen our next guest on On Screen and Beyond on numerous TV shows and movies over the years, whether it was on Bamba Black Sheep with Robert Conrad in the 70s, in the original Poltergeist in the 80s, or now each week on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Besides being an actor, he is also an author with his new book and illustrated fable called Master and the Little Monk. It's Dirk Blocker. Dirk, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Now, Dirk, you seem to have your hands in a little bit of everything, or, or, or should I be calling you Detective Hitchcock? <laughs> <laughs> well, for today, you can you can call me Dirk. Okay, uh, but anytime you know, anytime I'm associated with a show, I I don't mind answering to Hitchcock. At all. <laughs> but as far as uh, you know, here you are. You have a book out. That sounds pretty exciting. I'm very excited about it. I'm very proud of it. Um, you know, it's it's really just a. Uh, it was a, 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 a something I did out of passion, really. I mean, I just I wrote this story when I was doing in a writing stage where I was I'd written quite a few things, and uh, but this one stuck with my wife, and my wife is uh, an incredibly intelligent and um, insightful and um, person, and, um, and she just loved it. She wouldn't she wouldn't take no for an answer. She said, "Someday, I really, really, really want you to do something with that." So this last year, I said, you know what, why don't we, since people are doing that these days, since people are self-publishing, so I didn't really do it. It's not like a, a, a scheme to make money or something. It's not something I'm doing to try to become a, an established author. It's, there's nothing more to it than just that it's a very sweet story and hopefully something that might have some meaning for people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to get it out there to as many people as possible. I'm very proud of it. The, the illustrations are beautiful. Even if the story doesn't grab you, uh, the illustrations are just so gorgeous. Uh, Eric Scottness uh, did the illustrations, and he just did a fabulous job. I'm really, really proud of the book. And now, is this a friend of yours that you knew that, that did the illustrations? Or? I, you know, I, I had just really, I didn't know him well, but he was uh, an artist who worked on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he did portraitures and did various uh-huh. um, assignments, for, and he did it so effortlessly and so well. that I was. And, but, I, but I got to know him a little during the time we had worked together on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I just had an affinity. For, we had an affinity for each other. We, I liked him, and he liked me. And so when it came, when I made the decision to do this, I started looking for an illustrator. I told him what I was doing, and I said, you know, would you consider doing that? And he said, well, I, I've never done anything like that in my life. And I said, well, neither have I. <laughs> and so uh, I said, give it a read, see what you think. And he came back and just said he was bowled over by the story, and he would be honored. And so I said, well, I'm doubly honored that you would want to do it, so let's... Let's get together and do this. So it it took a while. Um, it was a long process because he was busy and so was I. But um, it, it was it, the 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 fruit that it bore. Uh, I'm I'm very proud of and very happy with. So it, it was well worth the efforts that both of us made. Hmm. Now with the process like that, when you have uh, somebody do, doing the illustrations for you, uh, do you put input into it or did you let them go with it? As far as you know, in what they see in their head is what these people and these images would look like. 
a little of both. You know, sometimes he would just be struck by something and he'd come up with an image that was just perfect and lovely. And other times he would say, you know, I'm a little stuck on this. I'm not really sure how to do this. How do, how do I take those words and, and create an image out of that? And I'd say, well, you know, when I wrote it, this is kind of what occurred to me. The book is kind of dreamlike. Um, the fable is, is dreamlike in, in, a, in a quality. So there was that to hang on. But also I would say, you know, here's our, he'd come out to the house and we'd talk things over. He'd shoot some photographs of things to, you know, give him some inspiration. And uh, so we, it was a collaborative situation, but he certainly came up with plenty of his own. And, and it was a lot of fun actually working together on it. Mm. So uh, it was a little of both. Yeah. Now, can you give us uh, a little idea of what the, the story is? Yes, I can. Um, it's the story of a young man who is facing some pretty large obstacles and, and challenges in his life. He's got, he's not been dealt maybe the easiest deck of cards, uh, you know, not, not the easiest hand in the world. Um, and he's, you know, he deals with these things with energy and positive attitude. And at any rate, there is a another character in the story who witnesses what he's going through and how he's dealing with these challenges, and he takes it upon himself to bestow friendship upon this person and to kind of help him, uh, guide him along a little bit. So, um, you know, that's kind of what it is. And, and in the in the journey that these two take together, this young man kind of gains an understanding about who he is and acceptance of who he is and where he is in the world and, and a path forward, a way to um, proceed, perhaps, and some self-awareness and self-knowledge that uh, he gains along the way. It's, it's a journey. It's a fable. Hmm. And um, so, you know, that's, I don't want to give away too much, so right. that's, I'll just leave it at that. But um, yeah. it's, a, like I say, a very dreamlike, but uh, I hope people will agree that I think it's a lovely story. Yeah. Now, with a, when you write a story like this, uh, there's, you know, always the question of, is it possible that this could become a movie? Uh, you know, I, one step at a time. One, I don't want to get too far over my skis, so to speak. Um, but my my goal, my you know, ultimately, what I'd really like to do with this, uh, besides, um, you know, maybe I used to be a teacher. But I was a teacher for a while, um, a school teacher. And you know, when you enter a classroom with forty kids, you know that you're not going to possibly reach all forty of them. That's just that's mm. not going to happen yeah. for one one reason or another. So, you know, realistically, you hope that. Out of those 40 kids, you can grab a handful or two or three of them, so maybe 12, 15 if you're really lucky, and make a difference in their lives by being there to listen to them and by there to support them. And, to, and, and boy, when you see the ideas going off in their faces that they get something, maybe for the first time, that's, the, that's all the pay you need. You know, that's, that's just a huge uh, reward for, for the work you do as a teacher. So that's kind of the way I view this book, um, is that I'm, you know, I, I don't, I don't see this as being a, you know, million seller, best seller, top of the list copy, you know, mm -hmm. thing. It's a fable. And it's not for kids per se, although it's totally suitable for kids. I think for young people, meaning like up to about 10, 9 or 10 years old, I think probably it'd be good to have an adult there to read it with them just to explain things to them a little bit. But the illustration certainly should work for them. And I think that the idea of the story will work for them. But they might need a little help with definitions of certain words and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and then adolescents, I think, will, I hope, and I think will really flock to it. I, that's been my experience so far. The ones I've exposed to it have really, really loved it and eaten it up. 
and I think adults like it a lot too. I mean, that's the that's the. I didn't really write it for any age group. Yeah. But as far as what I would like to see, I mean, if if things go well with this book and um, go well enough, they don't have to go super well. But <laughs> at any rate, if they go well enough, I would really like to maybe look into the possibility of like a short animated film. Yeah. I think a short animated film that I would like to narrate actually. Um, I just basically read the story over the uh, over the imagery, but bring the imagery to life in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea what that would entail. I don't know how re- how how you know reasonable it is to assume that that's something I can do. Uh, but it's it's certainly something I've got on the back burner that I'd like to I'd, I would like to pursue that. Wow, that sounds great. Gee. So when you said that it's a story you had written a while back and uh, you had some other ones, uh, do you was this when you say a while back, is it, are we talking ten years, or was this when you were? No, it was really just prior to um, to the, the start of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, part of my daily practice was then and is becoming again. I try to put in some writing every day. Um, I don't consider myself a full fledged writer because the writers who I really uh, look up to, they're people who spend anywhere from five to ten hours a day writing, regardless of how they feel or. Anything else? Whereas I'm more someone who might write when I'm when inspiration strikes. But at that period of time, <clears throat> excuse me, I would, that was when I was teaching. I would spend at least an hour a day uh, putting down my thoughts, and it doesn't. They didn't always turn into stories. Sometimes it's just journaling, or sometimes it's just uh, poetry, or things that come to me and things that I just feel compelled to write. Um, but it's therapeutic for me, and uh, and I and I, I really enjoy the process. It's. It's a creative outlet that doesn't require other people, like when you're doing a play or doing a film or something. You need a lot of people to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whereas writing is just a pad and a piece of paper. You know, it's that's as simple as that. And I, I, I really like that, the freedom of that. Um, so, um, at any rate, while I'm doing the series, it's a little more difficult for me, at least. I, I have a hard time finding the right time and the right frame of uh, space for to write. Um, because you know, when even if I'm not doing a lot on the set that day, in fact, those days I'm uh, probably more exhausted than on days where I have a lot to do, because it just requires a focus, an all-day focus. And at the end of the day, I really want to kind of go home, veg out, have a dinner, and go to bed. Right. Got to get up the next morning <laughs> to go to work. But um, anyway, yeah. So this was just prior to the start of Brooklyn. Um, so this is what five years ago, just a little over five years ago. And it was I was in a workshop and. Um, and with some other really good writers, and uh, and the person who was kind of, you know, heading up the, you know, someone creating a framework for us as a group, um, he challenged us one day. He said, hey, I've got an idea. Here's something I want you guys to think about writing. He said, why don't you write something short, but something about Dharma pertaining to life's purpose? And so I took that challenge up, and I... Uh, I took um, I took a long hike with my dog, which is sometimes where some of my I'm, the inspiration does strike me, and generally does is when I'm out and about in the in the wilderness, so to speak, out in the woods mm-hmm. and um, in the quiet. And um, at any rate, I was struck during the walk by a poem that had been written, an ancient poem that I really liked from years past, where um, and it really doesn't have anything to do with how the story turned out, but it inspired me to think about, well, if you turn that poem upside down and you change this and change that, and, and what if that happened instead of what happens in the poem, and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing I know, I sat down, and uh, it was one of the times, you know, sometimes writing is effortful, 
you do it anyways because it's really good practice and it's it's good development. But uh, there are other times when you sit down and uh, and the pencil seems to be moving on its own accord, and you know the words kind of flow out. And you, when you reread it the next day, you think, God, I don't remember half writing half of that. I don't really remember that. That's what an experience. That's hmm. that's what's so therapeutic and lovely about writing for me. Yeah. And um, at any rate, this story kind of told itself. It was like the story is just there waiting to be told, and it, I was the lucky person to to be there when it occurred. So, hmm. yeah. were you were you a writer even back when you were in, uh, a kid in school? No, not really. It's kind of I, nor was I an actor when I was a kid. Um, but really, they're kind of they come from the same. For me, at least, they come from the same well, um, really, of creativity. They're um, it's all about storytelling. You know, that's really the desire I have as an actor. That's and then that's then that desire carries over and, and feeds me in terms of, even though it's not like I sit around thinking I've got all these great stories I intend to tell someday. I don't. Mm-hmm. I just kind of allow, like I say, I in, in my best circumstances I allow inspiration to strike. Sometimes it strikes because something's happened, because someone's passed away, or someone has moved me in a way, or I've seen something that moves me. But uh, those are the things that guide me, and. Um, it's it's really just storytelling. That's really essentially what it all boils down to. And and I feel like they use so many of the same muscles, really, as far as the creative muscle goes. Mm-hmm. Um, they really kind of tap into the same thing. I mean, I know it's not exactly the same, but you know, it feels the same to me when I do it. Because if if my acting is is really sh- certain and good it usually means that I'm not really aware of what I'm, I'm not managing it. I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, controlling it. Um, I'm allowing things to occur to me and happen to me in the process of telling the story, being a part of a story being told. And, uh, that goes the same for if I'm writing and I'm sitting there thinking, here's the point I'm trying to make. I really need to say, you know, I really need to be clever about how I say this. Then, then you know what, then, I read it later and I throw it in the trash because it's usually no good. Um, so uh, they pose similar challenges, and but the rewards are both really, you know, when, when things come together in the right way and everything works out the way you hope that they do, then it's, uh, it's, 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 the payoff is tremendous. Hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, uh, many of our listeners uh, will realize that your father was Dan Blocker, who played Hoss on Bonanza. Um, did his acting have any influence on you to become an actor? Well, yeah, I'm sure it did to a certain degree, but mostly it was just, I think, probably the fun he had, um, the joy he he had in, in the work he did. Um, because in those days, their schedules were such that he might have only had a two or three weeks off at the most every year. So one of the best ways to spend time with him when I wasn't in school would be to go to the set with him. And um, so, and that was a joy for me because, it, number one, it was a way to be with my dad uh, for the better part of the day. 
but also because those those guys just had so much fun doing what they were doing. You know, they were all professionals and really good at what they did, but you wouldn't maybe you, as a kid you might not know it because they just seemed to be it's like it was like a playground, right. like turning kids <laughs> loose in the playground. You know, now they got serious. The minute that someone said action, things got serious if they needed to be serious. Mm-hmm. But up until then, it was they were just having a ball, laughing and talking and telling, swapping stories and catching up with their families. It was just, and it was such a family uh, feeling on the set between the crew and the cast. They'd all been together so long. They they did that show for so many years they, that they really loved each other. And you could feel that you could you 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 it was obvious it was uh, palpable, and um, so to be there in there with that and be a part of that was really a blast. But you know, I don't really think I contemplated being an actor uh, seriously um, even up until the time I started. I was doing I was in high school and someone approached me and said, "Hey, you know, I saw you in a play. I think you're good. You want to try to do this?" And I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and uh, so it kind of happened to me. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, in my early career, especially the main reason I'm sure I was given opportunities was because my father was well-loved in the in the community, in the television mm-hmm. film community. He was well-loved, so people would say, oh, God, yeah, we want him to do this. Let's have him do it. So I was kind of learning on my feet as I went along, and I was under contract to Universal, who, uh, who uh, also uh, suggested, and it was a smart thing to study with people and to kind of give it a little more thought than just showing up with your lines memorized. Um, so, uh, so I, I, you know, yes, I'm sure I was influenced in terms of becoming an actor because that's what my dad did. But I think if if he had remained a school teacher, which is how he started, but interestingly enough, that's something I've, oh, I, well, I've leaned to later in my life as well. Uh, but, you know, again, that's so very much aligned with performance, really. I mean, you go in and, you know, essentially as a teacher, my philosophy is it's my job to become fascinated by what i'm teaching mm-hmm. even if i don't really care for the material <laughs> even if i'm not really just completely consumed with mathematics for this given day but today i am going to be consumed by mathematics and it's kind of the same with when you're handed a script as an actor sometimes you know you love the story and you love the script and that makes your job a lot easier some days you're handed stuff that you don't think is very good and you don't really care for it but you can't really judge it so your job is then to make it, you know, to be completely fascinated by what it is you're doing and make it the most important thing, story you're telling that day. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in, in other words, had he just remained a school teacher, who knows, I might have ended up being a school teacher. He, he really loved life. He really absorbed life and grabbed handfuls of it every chance he got and just was curious about life and, uh, and uh, you know, being around that was contagious. That that probably I was probably more inspired by that attitude and by how he how he went about his life than I was necessarily about acting per se. Mm. But it's hard to say that any anybody wouldn't have been influenced because, like I say, it was just so much fun to be on that set. Yeah, and and like you say, he he was loved by all the viewers and, and and I don't know about on the people you know who he worked with but it it just he seems like such a nice guy you know he um he was a complex person like every, every most people right. are yeah um but overall he was so grateful for all that had you know that had happened to him in his life and all that he all the opportunities he'd had and that kind of gratitude you know anybody can you know, anybody can can have, I mean, some people 
seem to have life given to them on a silver platter, and yet if you talk to them, you realize they're maybe not the happiest people in the world. And other people who have incredible challenges in their lives can can come across as, God, this is the happiest guy I've ever met. He's mm-hmm. working two jobs, and, you know, he's got a rough thing going on here, but, you know, he's always got a good attitude. He's always happy. I think that that was a great gift he gave to, to me was um, was the gratitude that he showed you know, even time when times were a little, little, you know, difficult or what have you. Mm-hmm. He, um, so yes, I think, and I think that came through in his work. I think people just picked up on it. He, you know, he didn't suffer fools gladly. That's for sure. If someone, uh, was, you know, behaved in a way that he found, uh, you know, uh, despicable, he, he didn't let it slide. He <laughs> just called him on it. Yeah, um, but at the same time he was, uh, he 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 really did have a fondness for human beings. He, he you know for humanity. He really he really did love people. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, and you know especially innocent people and uh, good people. He really helped. Uh, so I think that that's shown through in his work. And I think that that uh, that's probably part of the reason why people loved. Him. He he loved life. He loved people. So I think it was. So it wasn't hard to watch his work and to be around him and not love him back because right. he gave so much. Yeah. Did you ever get to be like an extra on Bonanza at all? <laughs> when I was a kid, one of the things that would happen during the week or so that I could be around him on the set, uh, at some point there'd be something going on that he needed to focus on and it wasn't appropriate for me to be around or some such. And he'd get one of the one of the extras maybe on the show or somebody who he knew on the show who had some time on their hands to take me on a walk, which was great. I'd walk around Paramount Studios and go visit sets and go watch what people were doing, and I got to know other people in other shows and this and the other, and, yeah, it's just your dad at work, you know. But um, on one show one day uh, I was visiting, it was a Chuck Connors show called Branded that was only on for a few years. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Nonetheless, uh, the makeup people and the wardrobe people, they all knew my dad well, and they saw me, and they, hey, Dirk, hey, you know, we'd run across each other. And they just grabbed me and took me into the uh, wardrobe department and put this, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, I don't know, bad guy outfit on me, for lack of a better word, with the bullets across my chest, across across <laughs> my chest, and two big guns on either hip. And, and then they put me in a makeup chair and made me up with a mustache and a scar on my face and, you know, made me look like a real hombre. And, uh, and so at any rate, I walked back to the set and everybody was waiting to see what my dad's reaction to me, which he thought it was hilarious and thought it was fantastic. But Michael Landon was directing that episode, and I remember, I, I just remember the sensation of being lifted up off my feet by Michael, and he just carried me, and he, they were shooting a saloon sequence. And he carried me into the middle of the saloon, sat me down in a chair, and, okay, roll camera action, you know. So <laughs> I sat there with a beer in front of me and a dancing girl on the table next to me and, you know, all these cowboys hooping and hollering. And So I didn't really know what was going on, but, yes, I mean, inadvertently, yes, I became an extra on Bonanza one day. Hmm. Now, you mentioned Michael Landon. You also got to work with him when he was on uh, Little House on the Prairie, correct? I did. I did. That was a lovely thing for me. Um, very. Um, I went in to meet him. Uh, I'd worked with Leo Penn, uh, who was a great director and did a lot of Bonanzas and Little Houses. And... Um, I'd worked with Leo. He had hired me on a couple of shows when I was really kind of when I was starting out, and um, and he was prepping a show for a little house. And he walked by and said, "What's going on?" And they said, "Ah, we're having a hard time casting this part. We need, you know, we need this kind of kid, you know, who's kind of too big, too old to be with the other kids, but 
you know, uh, he's got learning disabilities or some such or whatever. And uh, and Leo Penn said, oh, God, I just worked with Dirk Blocker. And he said, you, what, really? So they brought me in, and, of course, I had prepared all day and all night the day before to read for the audition, and I was nervous. And, and I walked in, and Michael sat me down, and we talked for about two minutes about anything but acting, just catching up. And he gave me a huge hug, and he was so sweet to me. And um, and then he said, well, would you like to do this? And I said, yeah, I, I'll let me audition for it. He said, no, you know, you don't need to audition for this. You just come to work. And so it was a, an incredible gift, and it turned out to be a really good episode, and I'm still proud of it. I still have people stop me and talk to me about that particular episode. It affected a lot of people, so mm-hmm. it was it was it was really yeah. I was very fortunate to work on Little House. Yeah. Now, Bomb Bomb Black Sheep. I, I remember that show when you were on there, and uh, that one. That, it, it, how was that? How was working with Robert Conrad? Oh, it was. Um, you know, well, it was very. Um, up and down. I mean, it was uh, the best of times, and then there are days that were a little uh, longer. The days could be long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think Robert would be the first one to to, to acknowledge that. Um, you know, he was a bit of a perfectionist, and um, but he but when he got what he wanted, it was awfully good. You know, um, at any rate, uh, I met some great people on the way, and I was really proud of a lot of what we did. I thought what we did, Stephen Cannell created the show based on a real book, the book about Pat, that Pappy Boynton wrote. Yeah. And um, when we hit it, when we hit the episodes with authenticity and did it right, I thought we did a, I thought we had a good show. And then there were other shows I thought that we kind of got a little, you know, a little sideways with here and there. But um, again, how lucky was I at that early, I think I was 18 or 19 when I was cast in that. Um, wow. I think I was the only guy who was actually the right age for being in the military at the time. Everybody else was 25 to 30. Although in World War II, there were plenty of guys who were adults who right. uh, served in the South Pacific. So, um, no, it was overall, it was a, a great learning experience for me, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, and I made some friends who I still am in contact with. And um, so that was a good one. That was, hmm. uh, I, I, again, and again, I still have people come up to me and like you and say, my dad and I used to watch that show every week. Oh, my God, we loved you guys. It was great. You know, oh, so... Yeah. Again, very, very lucky. Yeah. yeah. Now, of course, you, you've also been in so many other sh- shows and movies and everything, MASH and New Heart and Criminal Minds, Deadwood. But uh, like you said, five years ago, uh, you came up and you were in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And uh, that's, that's going to be quite an experience. Uh, it's, um, I like to tell people that it's the job I, w- I looked for for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Uh, you know, uh, I, I like you say, I guest starred on a lot of really good shows and been on a couple of shows that were good that just didn't last all that long. Um, so I knew, and plus having grown up uh, watching them work on Bonanza, I knew that this kind of situation was out there. I just hadn't been fortunate enough to do anything other than guest star for a week on a show and think when I left, boy, those guys have got, what a great job that is because everybody's so happy and they all get along so well and and it's really funny, and it's really well-written, or it's really great drama, or whatever it might be. Um, and, uh, yeah, along, and here comes Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, um, the casting director, Allison Jones, and I have no, had known each other uh, for a few years, but had never quite, it had never worked out that I was, you know, I worked for her. She, I either didn't get the job that she had me up for, or she would uh, offer me a job that I couldn't take because I was busy doing something else. And I hadn't heard from her for a year or so, but um, one day it was like, um, you know, we got a small thing here, uh, but it's a pilot for uh, 
and it's Andy Sandberg and Dan Gore and Mike Schur, the guys from Parks and Rec. And I said, whoa, 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 stop there. And she said, well, I just don't know if you want to do it because it's not a really huge part. But um, I said, no, I don't care. I, you, you had me, when you put those names out there, I, that's, I, want, to, I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot to go on in the early going because the writers, Dan and the writers, were so focused on establishing the main characters in the show mm-hmm. um, that they didn't spend a lot of time talking to us. And when I say us, I mean Joel McKinnon Miller, who plays Scully, and myself were kind of inseparable. The old, we're the old guys, the old farts in the uh, <laughs> precinct who are just kind of biding our time until we can hit retirement and get get the heck out of there. So <laughs> all we do is drink coffee and eat donuts, basically. But we solve some we solve some stuff once in a while. But we're there really for comic relief. At any rate, we just kind of started coming up with a lot of our own stuff. We just kind of created a world for ourselves to keep ourselves occupied as much as anything else while we're and and uh, and everything we did. Andy and Dan uh, and Mike all seemed to really love. I mean, they'd come to us and say, "What? I don't know how you guys came up with that, but that was." That's great. Keep doing that. <laughs> Do more. Give give us some other stuff. And by, by the end of the first season, they said, "Well, you guys are series regulars. Forget it. We we can't do this. You know, we don't want to do this. It's not they couldn't do the show without us, but we don't want to do the show without you. We want you guys to be here permanently." So, wow. we said, great. Let's let's do it. And and the, so here we are, five years later, 112 episodes later, and uh, it's just been uh, such a joy, such a pleasure. Um, I'm really proud of the show. I think it's funny to begin with, which it needs to be because it's a sitcom. Mm-hmm. But I also think that they touch on aspects of our lives and on, on the world we live in that, um, you know, give meaning and um, and it's sweet. It, there's a sweetness to it, not unlike Parks and Rec. Right. Um, there's a, there's a, a tone to it, that uh, a human tone to it that's really, I think, vulnerable and beautiful. And I can, you know, the fans we have are, are ardent fans. They they just love us. So uh, we'll see what happens. We're waiting now to hear whether we're going to do a sixth season or not. Um, I suspect we will. But if for some reason we don't, um, it's been an incredibly joyful ride. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. Now back to, to, to your book, um, as far as uh, Master and Little Monk, which uh, is it available now? It is. Um, you know, again, I, this isn't something I pursued as a, a business venture. So I'm just kind of figuring this stuff out. So the one thing I focused on and I've just been able to accomplish with the help of my publicist, who has been great, they helped me put together a website. I mean, when I say they helped me put together, I, I made I told them kind of what I wanted, but I don't know how to manipulate <laughs> these things. So they put a beautiful, I think, a beautiful website together, masterandthelittlemonk.com, and people can order it there. They can uh, contact me through that website. If, say, some people contact me to say, could you please sign it to my grandson or to my my brother or whatever, and I'm happy to do that. Um, and I suspect now the next step will be maybe investigating, you know, something like Amazon or something to tr- kind of help. I, w- I would like to get the book into as many hands as possible. There's some talk now of maybe it going a, f- uh, a dozen copies or so going to the Los Angeles Unified Public uh, Library System, in which well, I would love that. I, I just would really like for as many people to see it as possible in hopes that, like I say, if, you know, if X amount of people see it, if if a half of them or a quarter of them or more uh, get something out of it and it really means something to them and is meaningful to them, then my mission is done. I'm, I'm totally happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but so that's a long way of answering your question, which is I really am just kind of starting out on trying to figure out how to get it out there, and I guess that's probably. Uh, but I do have a website, so at least we've 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 done that. We'll see what's next. <laughs> yeah. Any book signings or anything coming up? Um, that's another thing. The public uh, the the uh, the public relations people I'm working with are are trying to set up. I think that we're going to accomplish that. Um, there are some really lovely large older large bookstores that are still I guess, part of the challenge is that so many bookstores are now not uh not open anymore um, right. be, just because it's so much easier to buy online um but uh there are some some uh bookstores that have that have you know are still around and I'm so grateful that they're still around because I know I for one I like getting my hands on something and looking at it and mm-hmm. getting a feel for it and you know uh so that would be the next step. Is uh, I, I think we're going to be doing that in the next month or so. We're going to be setting up some book signings around the country, and certainly on the western part of the country at least. And uh, I don't know how far we're going to we'll travel with it, but uh, and we got to kind of get it done because uh, they're telling me that late May and then the summer is when we'll start prepping for another season. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But uh, mm-hmm. everybody's pretty optimistic that that's going to happen. So. Um, I'm going to get it out there, and you know the beauty of it for me is that the book is not dependent upon the time we live in today. It's a fable, so it, it's hard to say when this place, where, and when this place takes this book, this fable takes place. So, um, you know, I've got the rest of my life to hand these books to people and sign them and yeah. and sell them, and uh, you know, just get the. I just want to get the book out there. That's really my main thrust. Yeah. Well, that's great, and uh, I, I presume that uh, as you come up with book signings, that it'll be the information will be on your website, Master and the Little Monk. Yes, com. yes, exactly right. I mean, literally, the the website was launched just about a week ago, so it's still brand new for, to me. But I've already seen areas where I want to communicate more to people, and yes, as well, I'll be able to get the word out uh, that way, and also through the bookstores themselves, and uh, you know. Um, and I, I'm kind of figuring this stuff out as I go along. Luckily, I've got some people I've that I'm hooked up with that are uh, who are really good at this. So, um, so I'm kind of putty in their hands. I'm willing to do any hard lifting or heavy lifting that needs to be done. But, um, but the the beauty of it is, it's not like I've got to set a goal and boy, if I don't sell X amount of books, I'm going to be really disappointed. Or right. oh boy, I got to do this. It's all you know. It's all kind of a journey in, in and of itself. I'm mm-hmm. kind of learning about it and figuring it out and seeing what it is and you know, 30 years ago, if you didn't have a publisher, you were stuck in the water. And uh, right. when this first came about, when I first proposed this to my manager, I told him what I wanted to do. He said, well, great, we'll get an agent and get you a publisher. And uh, and I met with an agent who was very wise and, and said, yeah, I, I, we can do that. But he said, you got to understand that this is what you're – this is why so many people are self-publishing these days, because this is the control that you give up. Should you be lucky enough to find a publisher who wants to? And he said, "I think you. I think we could find a publisher for you." But he said, "But you got to understand something. It's no longer your uh, all these ideas you have about the illustrations and about how you want to go about it." I said, "He said, you know, it's you know, a lot of that's going to be you're going to have a partner basically." And I thought, "Hmm. Well, so what about self-publishing?" And they said, "Well, that means you get to control all of it." And so I just thought, you know, this is a book of, this is a passion uh, experience for me. This is a, uh, you know, this is not something, this is not a money maker necessarily for me. This isn't what I'm, why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just have control over it and just do what I want to do and, and use the illustrations that I want to use and, you know, pursue it that way. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. It's, but it's all, a, it's all, a, it's kind of like writing. I'm, I'm learning every day and every moment 
I'm figuring out things and learning about things and uh, seeing how where it takes me. We'll see where this whole thing takes me. You know, there's the Field of Dreams. The film The Field of Dreams has a great sentiment, which is if you build it, they will come. Well, I like to think the book is written and it's ready to go. And with it doesn't mean you can sit back on your laurels and just wait for people to find you. That's crazy. But um, but by the same token, I do feel like if it's meant to reach a lot of people, it will. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, Dirk, I'd like to finish up with two final questions. Sure. Taking us away from uh, your book, which everybody should be going out and get uh, <laughs> if they go to masterinthelittlemonk.com, <laughs> and uh, it's available now, and also taking us away from Bl- Brooklyn Nine-Nine and all the things you've done in the past. But when you sit back and relax, and I know you don't do too much relaxing because you, you know, you're so busy, but when you do, what are you watching on TV? What's your favorite TV shows now? and of the past when you were a kid, and what are your favorite movies now and of the past? Well, first of all, I do I do relax. I do find time to relax. I, I believe in it completely. I, I, uh, uh, our favorite pastime, my wife and I, usually is to sit in our lovely backyard and uh, listen to a little jazz while we uh, watch the sunset. But um, as far as what I'm watching now, um, there's so much good stuff on television, especially mm-hmm. right now. Um, there's just so much. Um, Broadchurch has already run its course. I love that series. My wife and I just couldn't get enough of that. We watched it all, uh, ate it up. Um, there's a comedy on FX now that is not maybe not for everybody, but I find it hilarious, you know, called Baskets. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, Louis Anderson is just doing work that is uh, inspired, in my view, um, and the entire show makes me laugh. Everybody on it's great. Um, let's see here. Uh, there's a new series that we're just hooked on now uh, called The Terror on AMC. I think is excellent. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, let me see. And I've forgotten what, the other, what other part of your question on uh, movies. When, when, um, yeah, and when you were a kid, what were you watching? What did you enjoy? When oh, you yeah, there you go. That was what it was. When I was a kid, I watched probably what most kids watched. I, For one, I loved The Wild Wild West, speaking oh, yeah. of Robert Conrad. <laughs> My brother and I would fight over who got to be... James West, the, the suave superstar James Bond westerner, mm-hmm. uh, or, and then the other had to play Artemis Gordon when we pl- played make believe. Right. Um, <laughs> Artemis Gordon was the brains and the the great uh, uh, the, his great counterpart. Um, let me see what else. I loved the Three Stooges and the Little Rascals, Laurel and Hardy. I loved comedy. I've always loved comedy a lot. Um, really good comedy just always killed me. Um, uh, you know, when we were, when, an, when a special episode of Bonanza would come up, uh, my dad would let us stay up late enough to watch it when we were kids. And when I say a special episode, it was usually because there was a comedic episode that he thought would be fun to watch, mm-hmm. uh, where Haas got into some kind of shenanigans. Um, let me think, uh, what else? Uh, you know, love The Sopranos, of course. Everybody, you know, anybody who ever saw that show, uh, I think probably agrees that that was just, uh, Hallmark television. Um, Let's see. Uh, I guess that's that gives you a pretty good idea of the kinds of things I yeah. I, I loved Warner Brothers cartoons when I was a kid. Uh, I'm a sports nut too. I, I, I like I, I like baseball and basketball in particular. Uh, the my the two sports that I, I I used to really love football too, but I'm afraid with the brain injury situation, it's hard for me to mm. enjoy watching these guys go out and and maybe you know. Anyway, I won't get into that. But um, but uh, baseball and basketball, I still like a lot. Um, what about movies? There you go. That's kind of. Um, 
you know, uh, I, I'm a classics. We we watch the the movie channel uh, uh, a lot. Um, I like uh, uh, Toshiro Mufun films, the uh, uh, you know Seven Samurai, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm blanking on the great director's name, but uh, at any rate, uh, the guy who did that, Roshaman, and uh, and uh, a lot of imports. Um, anything out now, um, you know. It's, there's so much good stuff on TV. We don't always get out to the theaters. We don't feel like we we need to. What was it? Oh, well, we really loved um, uh, Mudbound this last year. I thought it was an exceptionally good film. I thought the film that won, The Shape of, of Water, I we both, my wife and I both loved that film. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's it, there's it, there's just a um, an embarrassment of riches almost now. I think in the film and television community, there's just so much good that you can't possibly see all of it. Right. Um, so those are those are at least the films that pop off the top of my head right now and the television shows that pop off the top of my head. I'm sure there are others that I'll think of later and think, oh, why didn't I say that? But <laughs> that gives you a pretty good idea of where, where, where I come from. Yeah. Well, Dirk, I, I, it's been great having you on, and I really do appreciate you taking the time. It's been fun hearing about uh, all your past and, and the things you're doing now. And, of course, like I say, Master and the Little Monk. People should go out, get that, go to masterandthelittlemonk.com and uh, have a book to enjoy with your kids. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Gosh, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And it's a tip of the hat to Dirk Blocker for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. Hope you enjoyed that. If you uh, want to check out his book, be sure to go and look for that. It's called Master and the Little Monk. Sounds like a great book. And if uh, you uh, are on Facebook, be sure to like us. If you have a suggestion for a guest, send the information to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. If you have a connection with a guest or if you are somebody who was a celebrity and would like to be on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com and we will get you on here. And uh, let's see, what else? we got a lot of things coming your way as far as guests each week. Uh, we got more coming your way. I hope uh, you enjoy them. And uh, we are moving up to our 500th show. Can't wait. Uh, nothing special I'm going to do because I, I'm trying to figure out, should I do something special or not? Uh, out of the ordinary, I should say. But, uh, you know, we're just going to keep doing shows. That's, that's the best thing we can do. So uh, we'll have more episodes coming your way, and I hope you will keep listening. Tell a friend. The whole works, you know. And I really do appreciate the emails I get from people and enjoy reading them and uh, communicating with you, too. And uh, if you have something to send, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. Love to hear from you. And I thank you so much for listening. And that's it. That's a wrap for this week. So until next week, when do we once again take you on screen and beyond? I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Mm-hmm.